go. The passage for today, if you get your chance to open up your Bible, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be reading the Great Commission together. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. If you guys can follow along with me, just reminding you this is the Word of God. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Thanks again, Peter, and um, happy Mother's Day again to all the mums. Um, if you're a mum here, can you give us a little little hand next to your face? No? Okay. If you're, there's a mum around you and you know there's a mum, do you want to um, let's give them a big round of applause just one more time? Uh, mums, tough job, um, really tough. Um, they do so much, uh, but we again, as we said, we'll recognise them at I think at the end of the service. Um, as Peter mentioned, we're going through a series called Blueprints. Uh, we've hit the, the fourth uh, G, which is to go. Right? This idea that as a church, uh, it's not just about what we do in the walls of you know, the church, but it's also what we do out of the church, right? what we do outside there. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Randy Pausch. Anyone heard of Randy Pausch? Uh, he became famous for his last lecture speech. Right? The last lecture was a series of lectures where they asked top academics to come and hypothetically give their last lecture. Right? So they'd ask people and say, imagine that you are about to die. Out of everything that you've learned, out of everything that you could say, whittle it down into one last lecture. And what would it be? Right? And then they'd put these kind of smart, famous people on the stand to give that last lecture. Right? That's what it was called, last lecture. And Randy Pausch, he gave his last lecture in 2007. But for Randy, it wasn't a hypothetical. This was actually going to be his last lecture, or it ended up one of his last lectures. Because he had just found out, or not really just found out, but he had pancreatic cancer. And that had then spread into his liver. And one month before he gave that last lecture speech, he was told that he only had three to six months left to live. And so he was standing there, out of everything that he could say and impart to the world and to the students, what was he going to say, right? That he whittled it down to this last lecture, right? And then he gave it. And this became somewhat famous, right? It's got 20 million views on YouTube. Uh, It became a book, right? They expanded it into a book, which became a New York Times bestseller for over 100 weeks, right, on that list. Um, But the question is, if Jesus gave his last lecture... Out of everything he could say, out of everything that he could impart to us or his disciples, what would Jesus say in that last lecture? And for us, we don't have to guess that. We don't have to imagine. Uh, We know because we have that in the scriptures, right? That's our passage today. This is his, in a way, last lecture. 
And the last thing he gives to us is this. All right, it's a great commission. Out of everything Jesus could have said to his disciples, imparted to them, right? Because Jesus had said a lot of things, done a lot of things in his life. This is what he says. I want to read this one more time. Matthew 8, 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I, and I kind of like that, just that honesty there, all right? Jesus had risen from the dead and like he's got holes in his hands and, you know, people are worshipping, but some are still doubting, all right? I like that, right? It's like us here today. We've come to worship God and the reality and honesty is some of us, we're still doubting. All right, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' final command here, we call it the Great Commission. It's the great sending off. Right, the final task that Jesus hands off to his disciples right before he, he ascends, right, right before he goes to heaven. This is the important and urgent mission I'm going to give to you guys. Right, here you are, I'm going to leave. Right, as parents, um, whenever you drop your kid off to, let's say, a sleepover or they're going somewhere and you're going to leave them, I don't know if other parents do this, but we, we sit Reuben down. We're like, okay, Reuben, you need to remember this, okay? And then we like, say like 10 things, okay? <laughs> Make sure that you, and if this ever happens, and when this, and we tell him all this stuff and he doesn't remember any of it. But we, we, we want to impart to him this very important stuff before we're going to go, even though we're going to come back. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's going to come back, right? He's going to return. But before he leaves, he says, this is what I need you to know, and this is what I need you to do. Now, in the Great Commission, there's a lot of kind of words here, a lot of verbs. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. And I won't break down all of it, but there's one main imperative verb here. There's only really one command. And that one command is make disciples, right? That's the single imperative command here. Make disciples. The final thing that Jesus wants to tell his disciples as he goes is, I need you, my disciples, to go and make disciples. You make disciples as you go. You make disciples so you teach, so you baptize, right? Help them to observe what I've commanded. But that key word that is right at the center of it is make disciples. This is a mission that Jesus leaves for his disciples and leaves for us. Not because it's just our mission, but if you look at the Bible, it's really God's mission. Right? Our God has been on mission. Right? Ever since Genesis and the fall of mankind, God has been on mission to bring his people back to him. Right? All throughout scripture. And when we go on mission to evangelize or bring people to church or tell them about Jesus, we're really doing what God has always been doing, right? What's been on God's heart? Jesus says this in John chapter 20. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Right, before Jesus sends his disciples, he was sent first. And if you think about it, Jesus is kind of like the exemplary missionary. Jesus crossed cultures, really, like from heaven to earth. 
He became like one of us so he could speak to us in a language that we could understand, in stories that would really land on our hearts to tell us about the way of salvation. Right? That's really what a missionary does. When we go overseas, where we cross cultures, we learn languages, we want to try to speak their language so that we can tell them the way of salvation. We're just doing what Jesus already did when he came to earth. And Jesus says, I was sent, and so now I send you. This was my mission. And now I pass the baton on to you. Now go. I keep doing what I came to do. In Matthew's gospel, it actually begins and ends with this. When Jesus calls his first disciples in the gospel of Matthew, the first thing he says to them, right, it's here, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, right, Simon and Andrew, They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's a cool wordplay there. I think I'd be very impressed. I like wordplays. I'm like, wow, that's cool. They were fishermen, but now Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. If you follow me, Jesus says, you're not just going to be a follower of me, but if you follow me, you're going to be a fisher of men. Right? You're going to go and catch people. Well, that sounds bad. You're going to lure them in. Okay, that sounds... You're going to bait them. Okay, whatever. You're going to go and, and you're going to you know, like entice people to come and follow me as you follow me. Right, right from the start, that's how Jesus describes it. Right? Real disciples make disciples. And that's what Jesus is saying. Not only are these the first words Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, but here in the Great Commission again, this is what he's saying right at the end. As he leaves, just remember to be a disciple is not just to come to church and receive, but it is also to invest into other people. Fish other people. Make disciples. Tim Keller says that God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission and the church must join him. This also means then that the church does not simply have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission. We have a mission ministry here, but we want mission and the evangelism and outreach to really be just soaked into everything that we do. One of the great drivers, the reasons that we exist as Christians and as a church is mission. I just want to say four quick things. Number one, we have a mission. The fact that we as a church have a mission might not always be something that you think about. Because we think church... Let's get together, have some fun, you know, let's go on some trips, make ourselves feel good, you know, watch some movies together. These are all great things, but the church is on mission. We have a task that we've been given. And so despite everything else that we do, this is driving us. We want to see people come to meet Jesus, to put their faith in him. And then to grow in maturity all the rest of their lives until they go see him face to face. This is our mission. 
is what we're about. I've said in the past that church isn't a cruise ship. It's like a warship. It's not a cruise ship where we sit back and you know, it's a buffet food and we relax and we suntan. I mean, a part of it is just having fun. But it's really like a warship where we have a mission. All hands are on deck. Right? We all got something to do for the sake of the task, right? the goal. Right? I don't know about you, but you know, the, when we can't sing, how did you feel? It's like so frustrating for me. It's not like... It's like something stuck inside of me. I just, want to, I just want to break the rule. And I'm like secretly singing under my breath. Like I, I need to get it out. And that's really what it should be like for the gospel. We, we can't keep it in. We, we need to get it out. Right, we have a mission. Right? Jeremiah says, it's like a fire shut up in my bone. Right? If I say I can't talk about God, it's like there's a fire inside of me. And, and it just has to get out. Right? This is the mission of the Christian, the church. I need to get this message of salvation out. We have a mission. Second, that means the church and Christians, we look outward. Jesus says, go to the nations. And so we gather today in these walls, right? reading the Bible, praying together in Christian community. This is vital for our health. Yes, we look inward, but also we must always look outward. Right? We must have our hearts and our prayers and our concerns for the people who are not in this room. The church gathers and the church goes. The gospel pulls us in, right? and the same gospel pushes us out to go, to take that message to other people. The way that Jesus imagined that the world would come to know him was not that Christians would just sit in a room week after week. That we would comfortably be here in in heated rooms, right, with nice chairs. That's not how he imagined that the world would be evangelized. He imagined that the Christians would also then go, disperse, in this uncomfortable way, having uncomfortable conversations, right, in our homes or at our workplaces, right, to people that are colleagues or friends, that we would go. That is how the world is evangelized. And so whether that's far or near, whether that's here or overseas, we go. And that's how the church is meant to think as well. Third, that means you and I, we, we give, not just get. We don't, we don't just receive. Every single one of us, we're called to invest and to pour out. Jesus doesn't say, be disciples. He doesn't say even, be discipled. He says, make disciples. I want you to make disciples. Now, if you're you're not a Christian here, a lot of this might kind of not seem relevant to you, but I I want you to know that if you become a Christian and you join Kingsway, we want to make disciples. We're going to ask you to give. I talked a little bit bit about this last week, but we're here to invest into other people, people who doubt that they might believe 
people who believe that they might then grow, people who are growing to continue to grow and have breakthrough. Right, we want to make disciples. And fourth, that means we're all involved. Again, every single one of us are a part of this mission. It's not just for the professionals. Right? It's not just for the paid staff. It's not just for those whose job it is to you know, do church stuff. It's every single one of us here in the body of Christ. This is our mission. And I was speaking to a teacher uh, recently, and they were saying how, you know, as a part of you know, their teaching, how they counsel students. And as I was saying that, I was thinking to myself, you're not a counselor. But still, I'm not saying they're wrong, you're not a counselor, but you still counsel. Right? How many of us, we're not counselors, but we still counsel our friends. Right? They're different things, but just because you're not a counselor does not mean you don't counsel. Right? Just because you're not a teacher doesn't mean you don't teach. Just because you're not a preacher doesn't mean you don't preach. Just because you're not a pastor doesn't mean you don't pastor other people. And just because you're not a missionary doesn't mean you're not on mission. You're, you may not be a missionary. You may not be paid to go overseas, be supported by churches, to go overseas far away to do missions, but that does not mean you're not on mission. Every single one of us, we're on mission. And we're meant to have a missional mindset. That's simply what it means to be Christian, right? We're on mission. Now, some of us, we do it for our jobs. We're 100% pouring our lives into it. But others of us, it looks a little bit more complex. You have other jobs, but you're still on mission. When you go home, when you go to work, when you meet your friends, we're on mission. Jesus calls us all to this. Every single one of us. This isn't called the great suggestion or the great option. It's the great commission. All right, but sadly, for a lot of people, it's the great omission. Right, we, we, it's the thing we, we don't do. Charles Spurgeon, he, he once said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either on mission as a Christian or you're not doing one of the core things a Christian is meant to do. Now, this isn't to guilt trip you. Right? If you're not there yet in your faith, I want you to grow and be healthy, have a great relationship with Jesus, and then when you're ready, to, to be missional. Right? But this is what we desire at a certain point in our lives for all of us to be thinking this way. Right? We, we have a message that is meant to shift eternity. Right, what are we going to do with that message? If this is our activity on earth, then as Christians, it must shape our thinking, our decision-making, our living. Right, when you think about full-time missionaries, right, these are people who go overseas right, to tell people about Jesus. Everything they do is for the mission, right? It's to evangelize. So when they pick which country they're going to go to, a lot of times people pray and they, they ask God, where will I have most impact for you? Or where can I go that I'll be useful for you, God? 
Or where can I go that maybe no one has ever heard about Jesus? They make the decision on where to live based on that. And when they decide if they're going to have a job, their decision-making process is the same. God, what kind of a job will have the most influence for you? Or where I can meet people and build relationships that I can tell them about Jesus. Right, what neighborhood do I want to live in right, so I can impact that neighborhood? Right, every small and big decision is funneled through the lens of missions. And just because we're not overseas does not mean we can't think that way. When you think about your job, do you think about it through a missional lens? The people at work, right, your colleagues, your teammates... Or do you separate it where it's just church is God and work is work and, you know, there's no Jesus stuff going on over there? I think it'd be wonderful if people think about, you know, where they live or where they work based on the mission at hand. That'd be incredible. That's really the way that we're meant to live. Even if we're not missionaries per se, we're on mission we're meant to think this way. Now at Kingsway, uh, ever since the beginning, uh, we've been driving more of a mission-minded culture. Our Sundays are very aware that some of us sitting here are new to church, have left the church and come back, are not believers. Right? We, we try to purposefully do that. Even the way that I talk, I try not to be like too wordy. Right? If I'm too wordy, let me know. Our events, they're for Kingsway people, yes, but nearly every single event is, is very conscious of inviting people who, who are just new. Right, right, we got a, uh, we, we, yeah, anyway, we, we've got stuff going on where we just want to invite people right, constantly, where we're talking about that. Growth groups is open for people to drop in, check us out, see what Christian community is about. Right, we do all this stuff for a reason. And right now we're super lucky. A lot of you have come to just you know, check us out because we're, we're, the, we're the new church. And that's great. That's awesome. Over time, the influx of people who are just uh, joining us because you know, you've heard about us will begin to slow. And we as Kingsway will need to be more and more missional, right? proactive in this right? to make sure this is something that is always with us. We've got a wonderful mission ministry right now. Right? But we, even, even though they, they don't have to do much really because people are coming in. But as this season passes, right, this ministry will, will have more and more to do. Right? We'll begin to see right, the way that they're going to push us as Kingsway to look outward right? more and more as that next season comes. Right, we have a great mission ministry. Right? Give them lots of love and care if you know anyone in there. Right? Give them lots of love. But I just want to talk about the second point, which is the great provision. You know, this task that Jesus gives to his disciples is, it's like, it's impossible. He's telling this group of like, I don't know if it was the the 11 there or maybe, you know, more. But he's telling them to take this message to the world, to the, the corners of the world. What a, what a heavy task to pass on before Jesus, like, bye, <laughs> and he goes to heaven. You know, one of the hardest things um, I feel like I've done is, is raise a child. 
And well, the truth is, I didn't do much of the raising, right? All of the credit goes to uh, my amazing wife, Uni. And I don't just say that because it's Mother's Day, but it is Mother's Day. And so I have an amazing wife and mom. Who, we, raising a child is like, <laughs> it's like, what, what are you doing? I have no idea. I remember um, right when Ruben was born and we were leaving the hospital, like we had no clue, right? I'll just be honest. All the way through, we still have no clue. Um, but we, I got the car, I brought it up to the front of the hospital, um, and uni gave me Reuben uh, to put into the baby seat, which I've never used in my life, as she went to you know, pay the hospital fees. And so I'm there with a the child, I'm worried I'm going to f- drop him. He's tiny, they're so small when they're born, right? And I'm trying to put him into the baby seat, and I have no idea how to do this. Right? I remember putting him into the baby seat. It's so tiny. and trying to put the belt on, but there was nothing to strap around him. And so I, I'm calling my wife, like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And she rushes over, and she's like, I don't know how to do this. And we ended up uh, sending a photo to Uni's sister, EJ. And this is the photo we sent. We're like, how do we do this? And I, I don't know if you can tell, but he's still in his swaddle. He's still in his, like, sleeping bag. And so I didn't know how to belt him because there's no arms and legs to belt him around. And we were going to drive home like this, which is illegal, by the way, because you're meant to take off that blanket, right? And so their arms and legs are free, and you clip them in. Anyway, even from the first three minutes after leaving the hospital, no idea. This is like an impossible task. When we got home uh, and we closed the door with Reuben, uh, we looked at each other and we said, what do we do now? Because the nurses and the doctors and the help isn't there. There's like a thousand things we don't know how to, how to do. And really the only thing that got us through and really got Reuben through, right, and that he's still alive today, is that we had good people around us. We would message them and say, so what do we do with the milk? Right, what temperature do we bother them in? What is this rash that's growing on his face? Right, all thousand questions. We're just asking people and they're helping us along the way. The disciples are given a mission, and they're totally not ready for it. It's an impossible task. Like with a child, someone's life is in their hands. What a weighty task. And there's probably a thousand questions that they have that they don't know answers to. They don't have, like we did, Google. I don't know how people raised babies before they had Google. Google. We just Googled everything. They don't have that. They don't have planes or cars to take them to the ends of the world. They can't just record a sermon, put it online, and hope that thousands of people see them. They need to physically walk or catch a horse or ride a boat to get to places. Right? A lot of these boats crash. If you read the Apostle Paul and what he says about his, his time on boats, like a lot of them crash. But they're given this mission to go and tell the world about Jesus. And like us, Jesus knows They can't do it by themselves. And so, along with a great commission, he gives a great provision. It's like a sandwich. Right before the great commission, and right after the great commission, Jesus makes two claims about himself. And this is his provision, right? We begin with Christ's power. This is before the Great Commission. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, he says, and make disciples. Right before he gives 
any command to his disciples, he reminds them of who he is. He is the one with all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Right? He is the one. There is no one more powerful than him. And we've seen it throughout the Gospels. Right? If you read Matthew, Mark, we're going through Mark. We're going to go back to Mark, by the way. Some of you are wondering what happened to that. We're going to go back to Mark. He has power over evil spirits, power over sickness. He has power to walk on water. He has power to feed thousands with a few loaves of bread and fish. He has power to control the weather. He has all authority and power. And Jesus says, remember, I have power. Most importantly, Jesus has power over death, the devil, and sin, which we saw on the cross. And so before he sends his disciples off, he says, just remember that I have all power. The second thing he reminds them of, after the Great Commission, this is the other side of that sandwich, verse 20. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not only does he remind them of his power, he reminds them of his presence. Power before, presence after. Wraps the commission around these two truths. Remember, I, the one who is powerful, I'm with you. Always, right until the end. Again, Jesus begins in the Gospel of Matthew. He's introduced like this. In the Gospel of Matthew, he's introduced as Emmanuel, right? which means God with us. That bracket there is in the Bible. I didn't put that there. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is with us. He physically was on earth with us. And so it's, it's right that he ends. The last words that he speaks in this gospel, really the last words in this gospel, this is how the gospel ends, is Jesus saying, and I, Emmanuel, am with you to the end of the age. Right now, for us believers, Jesus is with us every step of the way. And this is meant to encourage us when we're fearful, when we're worried, when we're not sure we can do this mission, it's meant to help us. This reminds me of another impossible mission. In the book of Exodus, you probably know this story, there's a guy named Moses. He stumbles across a bush on fire, right? It's, it's God. And God tells Moses that he's going to send him to Pharaoh. Pharaoh at the time, arguably the most powerful man in all of the world. And God says, Moses, I want to send you to this powerful man, Pharaoh. You're going to tell him to let my people go. Set them free from slavery, right? What an impossible mission that he gives him. Right? We find it in Exodus 3. God says, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And this is Moses' reply. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Right, that's his first response. No, 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 God, you got the wrong guy. I, I can't do this. And when we hear Jesus say, go and make disciples of the nations, go to your work or your family, your relationships, and you know, influence them to draw them to Jesus, a lot of times we say, no, 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 I'm not the guy, I'm not the girl, I'm not the right person, I don't have the skills, I don't have the gift, da, da, da. But listen to how God answers in verse 12. God says, but I will be with you. I love that. 
Moses is like, oh, who am I? And he's thinking about himself. He's looking inward. And God doesn't say, no, you, Moses, you're great. Or you, Moses, you're, 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 you, got, you got the skills, you just don't know it, believe in yourself. He doesn't say any of that. When Moses is saying, who am I, 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 God says, no, no, not about you. It's about me. I am with you. This is what Jesus says. I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not about you. It's about me. And I am with you. God says this over and over again in the Bible. He says it to Joshua before he enters the promised land, Joshua 1. He says it to Gideon. He says it to Jeremiah. It's what Jesus is telling his disciples. I'm with you. The success of the mission is not based on us. It's not based on you. It's based on God, his power, his presence. And so even though the task at hand seems impossible, even though we look at people and we feel like that person will never come to church, that person will never come to faith, we're not meant to look inward. We're meant to look at Jesus. He has all authority. He can do the impossible and that Jesus is with us every step of the way. That is our confidence as we take this mission. It's not your strength or weakness, not your wisdom or foolishness, not your ability or lack thereof. Look to Jesus, his power, his presence, his strength, his wisdom, his ability. He will do it. And that's why, wrapped around this impossible mission, are those two claims. Without remembering those two, we'll give up. And we can't make this happen. Verse 19 actually says, go therefore. Because Jesus has authority, therefore, go. And he's with us. You know, my son Reuben, he, he's a bit of a fearful boy. Like afraid of a lot of things. Whether it's like going down slides we're in an elevator, a dog comes in, he gets scared. A lot of times I'm like, Reuben, it's okay. Dad's with you, right? I've got you. I'm with you. Uh, unfortunately, what happens most of the time is it doesn't help him, right? He's still afraid, right? Reuben, we'll go down the slide. I'll go with you. And he's still afraid. And if I'm honest, it's a little offensive. Because I'm saying, it's okay. Daddy is strong. <laughs> and daddy's right here with you. And the right response should be, yes, you are strong. I trust you and you're with me. It's going to be okay. That's what it should be. Well, whenever he stays afraid or he doubts or he, he runs away from the dog, what he's saying is really that either I'm not with him or that I'm not strong, right? I'm with, Daddy's with me, but you're just not strong enough to protect me. Because if you really believe that I'm with him and that I'm strong, He'd be at peace. When we look at this mission that we're given, if we really believe that Jesus is with us and that he is strong, a lot of the fear should go away. But we're fearful and we're timid. We're reluctant because we either don't think Jesus is really with us every step of the way or that Jesus really can do what seems impossible. And so if you're discouraged today, I want to remind you to look to him, not to you. If you've been rejected a lot, you've told people about Jesus, and they laughed at you, they made fun of you, and you just gave up, 
Maybe you prayed a lot and along the way you feel like the prayers aren't being answered, you gave up. I want to encourage you. This mission will be completed. Jesus has said that. And he's with you. And he is the one that will make it happen. And so put your faith and trust in him and keep going. All right, don't give up. As I close, I just want to say uh, one or two things. Now, my brother is getting uh, confirmed uh, in a few weeks. And, you know, I kind of like forgot how amazing it is that my brother's at church. Uh, if you asked me 10 years ago if my brother would, um, I'm going to avoid his eyes. If my brother, if you asked me 10 years ago if my brother was going to ever be at church, or if this moment would ever come, uh, if, depending on which day of the week you asked me, I think, like, if I were honest, I would have said, you know, I, I actually don't think it would happen. Like, at times, it just felt, like, impossible. Um, I prayed a lot for my brother. Um, more than I think I've prayed for anyone else in my life to come to, to salvation. Um, but if I'm also honest, a lot of times I gave up praying, right? Because it's tiring. And you're praying the same prayer and it feels like it's not happening. And I tried a lot of different things along the way. Uh, bought him books. Um, I don't know if you ever read. I invited him to conferences, right? I invited him to one conference, which was a bad idea. Uh, they left, uh, I invited him and Sharon. I don't know if you guys remember. They left midway because the preacher was like a bit over the top. Like even I was like, oh, why is this guy preaching, right? And they left. And a lot of the times I think I would have done things that wasn't helpful. But in the midst of all of that, and really in the midst of my failures, right, they're here. They're both getting confirmed, right, in a few weeks. And this is a testimony, right, not, not on what I did. I, I tried, but a lot of times I didn't. But it's a testimony of God's goodness, his power, his work, and his faithfulness, despite what we do or we don't do, despite our prayers or lack thereof, right? We keep trying. Sometimes we do it well or not. Sometimes we pray well and we don't. But it's not us, right? It's God. And so where has God placed you in your life? Who are the people that God has surrounded you with? And who are the one or two people that maybe you can influence for good and His glory? Maybe you've given up on them. Maybe you go through spurts of intense prayer and it feels like your prayers aren't being answered and so you put it back on the shelf. Maybe you've tried to invite them to church but you've been rejected over and over again and so now you don't even try anymore. Who is it? I want to remind you, this great mission is not up to us. He has given us his provision. Keep praying, keep trying. He is with us. He is able. There was an old man who used to go to the ocean uh, every day to do his thinking and his writing. And one day he went after a storm had passed and littered on the beach were just thousands of starfish. Too many to count and too many to help. 
And as the man was looking around, he noticed a boy walking toward him. And the boy from a distance would take a few steps and stop, and then take a few steps and stop, and take a few steps and stop. And as the boy came, came closer, the man noticed that the boy was stopping, and he would bend over, stand back up, take a few more steps, bend over, stand back up, take a few more steps. And as the boy got even closer, the man called out to him, what are you doing? And the boy said, I'm picking up starfish and I'm throwing them into the ocean. Because when the sun comes up, all of these starfish are going to die. And the old man said to this boy, look around you. There's, there's too many to count. Right? What difference are you making? And the boy bent over. He picked up a starfish. He th- threw it into the ocean. And he said, it made a difference to that one. Right? And to this one. And to this one. The church has been given a mission that we feel like maybe we can't tackle. And the truth is you can't. You can't make it happen by yourself. But you can make a difference maybe to one or two or three people in your lives. And it will make an eternal difference. And so Kingsway, let's get on mission. Let's invest into that one, two or three. And let's see God do the impossible. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. I want us at this time to to take all of our excuses and our doubts and our worries and lay them at the foot of Jesus. Often we're overwhelmed and discouraged. But he's the one who's going to accomplish this mission through us. He will take the words of man as we talk about Jesus and the Holy Spirit would work to open up the hardest of hearts. To do miracles in lives of people that we thought would never consider Jesus or come to church. He's going to do it. So let's lay down our excuses, our worries, our anxieties. And I just want us to take one or two or three people in our lives. People that we know need to meet Jesus, that without meeting Jesus and, and, and believing in Him are going to go to hell. They're going to perish for eternity in separation from Him. And why don't we plead with the Father that He would be gracious and merciful to them, that He would work by His Spirit even now to soften their hearts, to work in their lives to make events happen or send people that will bring them closer to Him. And if you are courageous enough to also include in your prayer, use me, God. Here am I. Send me to be a part of that work where you will save them, where you will bring them to you. Would you make that your prayer? Let's give ourselves to Him and let's pray for the people in our lives. Let's pray.